Hello and welcome to another episode of the Trading Desk Podcast. My name is Joshua Thanos. I'm your host. And today we have a solo podcast. Uh, and the topic is a uh, an interesting one, in my opinion. Um, I've had a few customers ask me this over the last few years. Um, and that is non-Swiss made watches or non-Swiss owned watch companies, um, to be more specific, because a lot of companies that are based outside of Switzerland in terms of their headquarters, um, they do use Swiss movements. So, um, so yeah, so today we're going to talk about uh, a few brands that I point to when I'm thinking about, uh, non-Swiss watches. Um, and, uh, so before we get started, I'll uh, start with my customary risk check. And today, um, on topic, uh, I wore a, a watch from a brand that is headquartered outside of Switzerland. It's one that's uh, headquartered in Paris, France, and that's a Bell and Ross. Um, so today I'm wearing my personal Bell and Ross. I have two of them. This is, uh, the one that probably gets the most wear. It's the uh, BR03-92 Diver. This watch was released a few years ago. If I have to guess, I think it was 2018 when they released that watch. And uh, it was their first BR03 in 42 millimeter with a screw down crown, which is, in my opinion, very important, especially at that time. I was really only buying dive watches. Um, I like to spend a lot of time at the beach uh, or fishing. So having uh a watch that I know for sure is water resistant is really important. So when they released this watch, I really liked it. Um, and uh, so this is a 42 millimeter stainless steel case. Uh, mine has the blue dial, blue bezel, and blue rubber strap. Um, it has, a, it's a very unique watch. Um, Bell & Ross is an interesting company, and we'll talk more about it today because it's on my list here. Um, but uh, you know, for $3,800 retail, and you can buy them online for less, uh, I think it's one of the best um, utility divers that you can buy that, that is basically like a beater watch, right? So it seems like it punches above its weight when you, when you wear that watch, you know, it's a watch that resales say between two and $3,000. It feels like you're wearing a more expensive watch, which is always nice. Um, it has a Swiss made Salido movement. I believe it is a, uh, it's the Salida SW 300 dash one. So it's going to be um, hours, minutes, and seconds, and it has a date. Um, so it's a, it's a nice, solid movement. Again, it's not going to be this brand, and what we'll talk more about it is is more about the uh, design and utility as opposed to finishing or um, or engineering. Uh, and uh, but yeah, it's a great watch. I love it. I've had it in the collection for probably two or three years now. Um, definitely recommend it. They make this model in a green. They make it in a black in steel. They also make it in a ceramic which I've owned before. I really liked as well. Um, one of like the cheapest and coolest ceramic watches you can buy is a, uh, a Bell and Ross diver and ceramic. And that watch in ceramic is only $4,300 retail and you can find it for less. So, uh, definitely recommend it. All right. So let's get started. Um, so when you're looking at the Swiss watch industry or sorry, the luxury watch industry, Switzerland, Switzerland dominates by far, right? Rolex, Paddock, um, I mean, almost every single brand you can think of is made in, um, in Switzerland, in some region of Switzerland, in Geneva, in La Locke, um, La, uh, Brasseau. So it's, 
the industry, 95% of the industry is located in Switzerland. And this is where most of the watch brands that you're hearing about or, or that you can find are going to be made. But if you dig, you will find um, some companies that are headquartered or founded outside of Switzerland. And then if you dig deeper, you can find a ton of them. Um, so today I'm going to highlight eight of them. And uh, there are a few others that, I mean, I could make an entire episode just on German watch brands. Um, there are plenty of them and there are more of them coming. Um, but uh, but t- today we're going to cover um, a brand from the United States, one from Japan, Finland, Belgium, Netherlands, France, Germany, and England. These are the the countries that we're covering today. So let's go ahead and start with, let's start with a, a company based out of the United States. Um, and there are quite a few companies that are based out of and make watches out of the United States. Some of them use Swiss movements um, and finish them. Some of them make their own in-house movements. Um, and some of them are just completely different. And, and that's why I picked this brand. And that is Devon. D-E-V-O-N, Devon Watchworks or Devon Works. It's a very interesting company um, and it is very American, right? So <clears throat> Scott Devon, the founder, is a, uh, I believe he's an engineer by trade. He was a, uh, he does uh, custom cars and was always into watches and decided to try to make his own watch that was, um, that showed the time on belts, on rubber belts. So it was a belt-driven watch. So uh, 2010, they um, they released their first watch, which was the Tread One, which is a large, uh, hunky watch, big, chunky, sapphire and steel watch. Um, and uh, but before that, he was they were looking to uh, create a fully mechanical watch because his watches are going to be powered by a lithium-ion battery that's going to be rechargeable, which can be controversial, I guess, in this in the watch industry, but, uh, is becoming more mainstream to have like rechargeable watches, Breitling and whatnot. So, um, initially he was looking and so they, I think they started around 2008, which is probably like the worst time to have started a watch brand. Um, and he was looking to create a fully mechanical belt driven watch. Right. And I, and from interviews that I've read, I believe that he figured out that it would cost him around $200,000 if he were to make it fully mechanical and belt driven, which at the time specifically, there was certainly not enough market share or as many buyers to for watches at that price point, especially from an American company. So he had to figure out a way to make this watch much more affordable. So what he did was they, uh, they looked to have it powered electronically with a lithium ion battery rechargeable Um, but the time display was going to be all belt driven. So if you're going to, if you're listening to this, you can just quickly Google Devon watch, Devon tread one, T R E A D one or Devon tread two. So the one is a, uh, it's a huge watch. I believe it's sure I can look this up right now. Um, 46 millimeter large square watch right now. And, uh, it is, I mean, it's a garish watch for sure. It's uh, one that I've tried on before. It wasn't my my favorite watch, but it is extremely interesting, right? So uh, give me a moment here. We're going to find. So the, uh, the watch itself uh, shows the time displayed all by belts going different directions. 
Um, it's going to have a large crown at, at six that you can use to um, change the time and, and switch between different time zones as well. Um, it is extremely unique. So when I'm looking at watches in general, I usually, there's going to be different combinations of these factors. So you're going to have utility, finishing, like hand finishing, engineering, right, which can be for the case, the time display, or the, um, or the movement, but mostly the movement, uh, design, which is mostly going to be like the artistry of that watch. So, but also can be uh, dial configuration and then the fit, right? So how does it fit? Um, so if I'm going to describe the Devon Tread 1, because he only makes two models. He makes a Devon Tread 1 and a Devon Tread 2. Devon Tread 1 is um, definitely all about engineering um, and design. That's Those are the two main factors for this watch. The fit is not great. It's huge. It sits huge on your wrist. It's gonna, you're going to look kind of silly. you got to be a very confident person in order to wear it. Um, really is no utility for this watch either. It doesn't have any great uses other than just being like a crazy watch on your wrist. Um, and, uh, and there's really no hand finishing, uh, as far as I can tell, on these watches. So uh, they, they are going to be hand assembled, but um, the, there's really no Swiss artistry uh, hand finishing on this watch. So um, and he also makes a, a Devon Tread 2, which is going to be slightly smaller, more of a tonneau shape. So he makes a large square case and a, and a tonneau shape. And, and again, he's a, he's a car guy, comes from the car world. So this belt-driven time display is going to be um, something that goes along with, you know, your car. This is, this is the, the inspiration, um, like a muscle car, basically, on your wrist. So um, it's a cool brand. Uh, they, I was trying to find some production numbers. I, I, did, I couldn't find many. I don't think he makes many watches. Um, if I'm guessing, it's probably 100 watches a year or something along those lines. Um, price points for, for this watch. So um, the retails are going to be above 20000 for uh, for most of his models or, or, or high teens and above 20000 for special editions. Um, they're trading. They are definitely watches you can find below retail. You can find them, the Devon Tread 1s, which are, are, sorry, the Tread 2s, which are slightly smaller and also less expensive, um, are going to be, you know, uh, in the, the 10 to 15 range. And then some of the special editions, uh, Tread 1s are listed asking um, as much as $20,000. So you can find them between 10 and 20000 You can find these watches and again, if you're looking for something incredibly unique, if you're a big car guy, if you want something American-made 100%, Devon Tread is where to go um, for, for a U.S.-made watch. And they're based out of uh, uh, Southern California. Again, Scott Devon is the, the founder and CEO. All righty. So that's the United States. And, and honorable mention, there are, I mean, there are other brands that are made out of the United States. Um, like Josh Shapiro makes his watches in California as well. Uh, but... Uh, uh, RGM and Hamilton are two other brands that you want to look at if you're looking for a watch that's made in the United States. So, though Hamilton definitely makes uses Swiss Swiss movements, I'm, uh, I'm not sure about RGM. I think they're all in house. All righty. So next up, let's talk about Japan. So, uh, and this is probably going to be the largest watchmaker in terms of production out of everyone we talk about here. So probably the largest non-Swiss uh, watchmaker is going to be Grand Seiko. So uh, if you've been paying attention to watches for any amount of time, you probably came across a Grand Seiko. Um, it's a brand that has definitely gotten 
more respect over the last, say, four or five years. Um, you know, they've separated themselves from Seiko, which has a, a serious cult following. I mean, I have probably, I don't know, 20 Seikos or so. Um, I also have uh, a Grand Seiko, and I have probably the one that you should start with, which is the Snowflake. Um, so Grand Seiko makes about 35,000 watches a year. Um, they are doing in-house movements. Um, they are doing hybrid quartz regulated, uh, automatic movements, and they also are doing fully automatic movements and they also do fully quartz movements, but they're, uh, you know, they have an emphasis on, um, on, uh, accuracy. It's really important for Grand Seiko watches, but also they do have hand finishing. So if you're looking for something, again, we talk about utility, finishing, engineering, design, and fit. Grand Seiko has almost equal parts of everything here, which is great. You know, it's similar to Rolex. So it's basically, I've heard a lot of people talk talk about Grand Seiko as a Japanese Rolex um, in terms of their designs because they're, they are uh, widely accepted designs, right? Their, their fit is fantastic. Um, I mean, I barely have ever worn a Grand Seiko that I didn't think fit well. Um, they also take a step above a lot of Rolexes because they, a lot, most of their watches have what they call Zeratsu hand finishing. So they use this black polish hand finishing on their cases in order to finish them, which is an added bonus. You know, you're getting a, a more of a, 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 um, a hands-on touch to your watches when you're buying, uh, a Grand Seiko. Um, and they're also known for their dials. So their, their dials in terms of their design, are tremendous. So they like to use elements, uh, of, of the Japanese landscape and they try to mimic those on their dial. So literally the snowflake is looking like fresh fallen snow. Um, but they have different colors of the different snowflakes. They also, they do all sorts of different dial configurations and dial colors and dial textures They're very big on dial textures. So, uh, you know, you can really find a, uh, you know, if you're, if you have a specific, um, taste in watches, Grand Seiko probably makes something that you'd like. They make, uh, heritage watches. They make classic watches. They also make sport watches. Um, so you can kind of find anything that, uh, that should fit you. Uh, the brand was founded in 1881, um, or, or, or that's where the founder started his watchmaking. It was in 1881. I mean, they're still, uh, manufacturing today and Grand Seiko and Seiko have kind of basically split so that there's a, a serious difference between them in terms of movements, in terms of case finishing and design. And, uh, and if you're looking to add a Grand Seiko to your, to your, uh, collection, um, again, it's a wide range, but you're really going to find most of them between as low as 2000 and as most as, as basically around $10,000 is going to be the, the bulk majority of their watches are going to be trading between two and 10, depending on if you get a quartz movement or fully automatic, or if it's, if, if it's a, um, a special edition. There are some special editions that go for well above as well. All righty. So on to the next uh, brand. So let's talk about, uh, well, if you listen to the last two podcasts I've, I've uh, released, um, I talked about uh, English watchmaking. So I talked to Fears Watches, the CEO, um, and I've talked to Garrick Watches CEO. So both, wa- both brands uh, are are English made watch brands. They use some, uh, Swiss made movements. They also have some in-house movements as well. Uh, but they're also extremely small manufacturers. Uh, actually, I don't remember if I asked, um, I think fears makes 300 watches, uh, a year, I think. 
Um, and I know that Garrick only makes about 50 to 70 watches a year. Um, I'm an owner of a Garrick watch as well. Uh, so, but the largest English made watch brand that I know of that trades is Bremont. So uh, Bremont makes about 10,000 watches per year. It was a company that was founded in, in 2002 um, by two brothers. It's Nick and Giles, I believe. Um, and this is going to be more of a utility, uh, utility watch brand. Um, they are focusing on kind of wearability. So anti-shock, anti-magnetism, that's where they put a lot of their focus in terms of their case and movements. Um, most of their movements you're going to get are modified Swiss movements, but they did, I believe in 2018 release their first in-house movement. Uh, that one is the ENG 300. And from the articles that I read, I think they, they plan to make about 5,000 of those movements a year. So, uh, supposedly, I guess, based on the math, half of their watches will be using this in-house movement if they're making 10,000 watches a year. Um, but uh, again, it, you know, a, it has a, a tremendous English heritage. Uh, they have a, a plenty of, of uh, special editions, but these are going to be mostly sport watches, right? Mostly stainless steel sport watches. They use some titanium. They have a few in precious gold, precious metal, but mostly going to be sport watches. And uh, so not really traditional watchmaking, more sport watches. And, and really the first three brands I've talked about, Devon is definitely a sport watch, I guess, um, I mean, it's almost in a class of its own in terms of the design because it's, they're just so crazy. Um, so Devon and Vermont are definitely sport watches. Grand Seiko for the most part, or even their heritage line are mostly going to be sport watches or ones that I would call sport watches because they have screw down crowns and water resistance. Um, I mean, they do have some classic models that are going to be more dress, but I'd say the, the bulk majority of the watches they make are sport watches. So Vermont, again, like I said, um, is going to be a, uh, they're making, like I said, 10,000 watches per year. So you can figure out what their scale is there. Um, and then if you wanted to add one uh, to your to your collection, you're going to be looking, they trade for between two and 5,000. They don't hold a tremendous amount of value. They're not super expensive out the gate, um, but they do trade for below their list price. Um, I know that they've had some marketing issues, and but with this watch boom, things have strengthened a little bit, even for a brand like that. But so if you're looking to add an interesting non-Swiss non -Swiss watch brand to your collection, uh, Vermont's a, a great way to, to go, especially if you like um, like military-inspired watches. They do a lot of military-inspired designs. And um, you can find them for between two dollars and $5,000 is the bulk majority of where their watches trade. All righty. So we've done Devin, we've done Grand Seiko, and Vermont. Um, next, let's talk about a brand out of Belgium. So uh, there is a, a very interesting brand that was started in 2010 uh, called Resins. So Resins is a, if we're going to look at it based on the, uh, the five qualifiers that I use in order to kind of describe all the watch brands, utility, finishing, engineering, design, and fit, um, it's definitely going to be heavy on the engineering design and the fit. Uh, the finishing, it's not really, they don't really focus on hand finishing. And I wouldn't call it a utility watch. It's not a watch that you're gonna be wearing in the ocean or anything like that. Um, but if you're looking for something that's that's on par with Devon in terms of the engineering, unique uh, dial displays, <clears throat> uh, most of their watches are, I guess they would qualify as regulators. Um, Resonance is definitely a cool brand. 
Um, they only make about 300 watches per year. So in terms of rarity, there's some legit rarity there. Again, they, they started their brand in 2010, um, and I believe that they ramped up production. So it, you would say there's probably less than 3,000 watches that exist in total. Um, they have three main models. They have the Type 1, the Type 3, and the Type 5, mostly different sizes uh, of watch. But they're going to be um, – the majority of their watches don't have crowns. They have uh, a uh, – the way to set and wind them is going to be on the case back, which is really interesting. But also, the uh, they they have very small lugs, so it's it, it, akin to maybe like a, a, a wire lug radiomere in some ways. Very small lug profiles and um, very round watches, and their time display is going to be the, the, the most compelling reason to buy one of these watches. So they take modified ETA movements, and then they engineer them to display the time in very interesting ways where the whole dials, for the most part, are going to be turning. And uh, the hands, the dials, uh, hands and dial, the whole thing turns all in concert, and it's it creates a really, really interesting effect. Um, it's going to be one of the most unique watch brands you can find. Um, and uh, and yeah, I mean, it, these are watches that are going to be a, a little bit more expensive than the ones we've talked about before. Uh, you're going to find these watches trading anywhere between ten thousand to twenty five thousand, and um, and you know they do have authorized dealers in the United States. Uh, Godberg's is an authorized dealer for resins, so you can buy them new. But pre-owned, they trade, like I said, anywhere between ten and twenty-five thousand um, dollars. And they uh, they're famous for making an oil-filled case, which uh, Tim really likes, and it's uh, it's a very interesting watch, and you know it's a great conversation piece, and a, a tremendous amount of engineering goes into that watch. All right, so. Next, well, let's circle back to what I'm wearing today, which is a Bell & Ross. So uh, Bell & Ross is a company founded in 1992. Uh, currently, they make about 4,000 watches per year. Um, they are headquartered out of Paris, France. Um, this watch is really going to be more of a utility um, and, uh, and design style brand. You're not going to have highly finished movements. I don't even believe they have any in-house movements. Maybe they do, but... Uh, that's not their main, um, uh, their main selling point is not going to be their movements. It's going to be their design. So they're, uh, mostly aviation, um, the aviation inspired watches. So they have a lot of their watches are going to be, um, mirroring what you're going to see in a cockpit. So they even, I mean, they even literally have a watch called the radar watch, which is almost unreadable, but it's looks like it's all black with red. looks like a radar on your wrist, which is cool. Um, so they're, they're most famous for their BR, um, 01 and BR 03 cases. So these are square cases, um, one in 46 and one in 42, uh, the 42s are much more wearable. Um, that's what I recommend. I have two BR 03s, which are the 42 millimeters. I have one that's the diver. And then I have another one that's a, a special edition in black ceramic with a khaki dial, pretty cool watch as well. Um, uh, but these are mostly sport watches, right? So, um, they uh, they are they're going to be using modified Swiss movements, ETA movements, um, and again, yeah, utility and design is what you're looking at when you're thinking about a Bell and Ross watch. If you're looking for a non-Swiss um, owned watch brand, and uh, and these also won't break the bank, so this is going to be uh, competing with some of the Grand Seikos um, and uh, and the Vermonts really in terms of trading prices. You're going to find these watches for between two and five thousand dollars. 
Um, and they have a, a wide range. So most of their watches are going to be these square watches, but they also do make round watches more traditional. Um, and yeah, they're, they're fun watches. They are tradable. So if you see one you like, you can buy it, trade it back. It's not going to cost you an arm and a leg. And again, you're going to find these watches are between two and $5,000. So Bell and Ross out of Paris, France. All right, next. So let's, let's talk about a brand out of the Netherlands. Um, probably the most famous brand out of the Netherlands. I don't really know another one um, that is based out of, and it is the Gronefeld uh, watch brand. So the Gronefeld brothers who are now the third generation of the Gronefeld watchmaking family um, are, make very traditional watches. Um, they only make about 70 watches per year. And uh, really, it, it's not really going to be a watch based on utility um, or, or really engineering for the most part. It's going to be mostly hand finishing, traditional hand finishing, and traditional design, right? They do, there is engineering in terms of their uh, movements. They're, they're using all in-house movements. Uh, Roman Trois is something that they're very uh, famous for. And, uh, um, but these are going to be traditional um, handmade watches, handmade cases, handmade movements, highly finished movements. And uh, they're going to be a lot of collectors like this brand, not only for the aesthetic, because it is, they do have a mass appeal similar to like a Jorn, um, but also for the, the kind of personality that's conveyed by the brothers themselves. Uh, um, if you hear, if you've seen any of their interviews, their two favorite things are drinking beer and making watches. That's just basically what they do. So if they're not making watches, they're going to be at the, at their local pub. In fact, when I was visiting, Switzerland. Uh, I was visiting the Jorn factory in Switzerland. Uh, we were out to dinner with uh, their uh, head of global sales, this guy named Massa. And he, we were talking about the Gronefeld brothers and he decides to FaceTime them and they happen to be at the bar. And we had a nice little conversation with them while they were drinking. Uh, but amazing watches. They've definitely benefited from the watch boom. Their watches went from trading at twenty dollars to $30,000 to now. Um, if you're looking to pick up a Gronefeld um, on the open market because it's really the only place you can buy them. Uh, you know, you they saw all their watches direct um, through their factory, but they're not taking any more off, uh, any more orders basically indefinitely. They posted that on their on their Instagram uh, about six months ago or so. So if you're looking to find these watches uh, pre-owned or secondhand in the open market, you're going to be spending between a fifty and a hundred thousand for most of their models, and there are a few that go above that. Um, but definitely a a brand to look at and consider, you know, they, they make what a lot of people would consider grail watches, right? So these are aspirational pieces. These aren't going to be watches that like a Bell and Ross, where you can buy it, wear it for six months or a year and decide to trade it for another model. Um, these are watches that are going to be, it, it's going to be thoughtful decision that, that goes into de- deciding which one you're going to buy in, uh, because the price point, though they are highly tradable now uh, these days. So I guess you could, you could buy one. And if you don't love it, it's not hard to, um, to move out of that, out of that, uh, that watch. All right. So we're down to our last two watch brands. And, um, the one I want to talk about here is a watch brand that when I got in this industry, I remember when I started in the industry, I remember seeing one of these watches and thinking like, what the hell is that? It's super cool. But like, who would want to buy that watch? Right. And that's, uh, Sarpaneva. So Steven Sarbaneva is a, is a watchmaker. He's a uh, storied watchmaker. He's worked with many Swiss brands um, and has uh, um, and has 
really he's really known for working under a very famous watch watchmaker named uh, Kerry Butelainen. Um and I think he's gotten a lot of inspiration from Butelainen because you see not in terms of their actual design but in their design language and idea uh their watches are similar to the fact that heavily heavily factored into the dials right so Sarpaneva makes these amazing dials dials that and cases as well for that matter but extremely unique design and engineering that goes into the cases um the fit's actually fantastic too if you ever put one on uh extremely comfortable watches and i i don't know if if any, any of their models are not going to be uh comfortable across the board just just based on their size and their the thickness and their balance it's it's fantastic but so if you're looking for an extremely unique watch I believe he only makes about 50 watches per year under the Sarpaneva name, but he also has a uh, another brand that churns out more watches, around 1,000, I believe. It's SUF, um, which is going to be a brand that's a little bit more traditional as well, um, but it's going to have the kind of the same heritage. Obviously, it's made by Steven Sarpaneva. Um, but the Sarpaneva watches are going to be most famous for their moon phases, so he makes extremely detailed and extremely accurate moon phase watches. Uh, and besides that, you're going to have just tremendous case and dial designs. Um, it, it, great conversation pieces. Uh, these things used to trade for like nearly nothing. I mean, I remember seeing these watches for three and $5,000 uh, listed online, and, and I'm kicking myself for not keeping one. I, I have owned one a long time ago, just for a very short time. I just, it was in my collection and I just couldn't find the time to wear it. I didn't, I wasn't evolved enough as a, as a collector to really feel super proud about wearing that watch, which now I kick myself. Um, but now they're, you know, you're going to find these watches for, you know, five to $15,000 for the most part. Some of them are, are above 20 trading, which is great to see. Um, but again, he makes very few watches per year. The SUFs are going to find between um, two and $5,000. And those wa- and most of his watches are going to be used using uh, modified Swiss movements, but he does have, um, an in-house movement for, uh, that he developed for his moon phase, which is like the most accurate moon phase that, that exists from, from what I can understand. So, oh, and also the brand started in 2003. So not an extremely old brand, but nowadays it's, you know, it's getting to the point where it's, you know, it's going to be, uh, 20,000 or 20 years old. So, all right. So Sarapaneva out of Finland. And the last brand I want to talk about is one that most, if you've listened to the podcast, you definitely know this brand. You're probably asking, you know, why I haven't brought it up sooner, but I mean, realistically, it's probably the most mainstream brand out of all of these. And that will be a Longa and Zona or Longa or Long and Sun or ALS, however you want to uh, pronounce it. And this is a brand out of Glashut, Germany. And uh, it is, it's owned by, it's the only brand out of all these brands that is owned by a larger conglomerate and it's owned by the Richemont group, um, which has been a challenge for a lot of, in a lot of ways, because the level of watchmaking that you're going to get out of Longa in terms of hand finishing and traditional watchmaking is for most, uh, most intensive purposes above um, paddock, right? So if paddock's a standard for hand finishing, um, longer, most of their watches, their standards is going to be higher. So it's extremely high standards. The brand was in, originally founded in 1845. Um, but you know, after world war two and the rise of communism in Germany, um, basically it was, uh, it, it was dormant until 
1990, which was refounded, and uh, they started making watches again. So right now, they're making about 4,000 watches per year, from what I can understand, uh, maybe some, maybe a little bit more some years. <clears throat> um, you can find them through authorized dealers. Uh, again, they are a Richemont brand. And uh, their price points are going are gonna to be from anywhere as low as 15000 for maybe just a regular small Saxonia, all the way up to 200000 and above for something extremely complicated, maybe a minute repeater or tourbillon or something wild. Uh, but this is, if you're looking for traditional watchmaking, but not French in uh, French design language, long is the way to look because you're going to get um, extremely high levels of hand finishing on the movements, hand assembled cases, hand finished cases, traditional watchmaking, but the design language is going to be very German. So you're going to have um, like sheer sides on the case. It's not going to be free flowing like you would see like in a paddock, which is going to be more German Swiss uh, or more, or sorry, more French. Uh, you're going to get a lot of German um, uh, design language. You're going to have flat crystals. Um, the bezels are going to have sharp drops. And, uh, you know, I always like to make a joke that, you know, uh, Langa has uh, a layer of anger. <laughs> Uh, it, it woven into their design language. And and I really do feel that way in, in a good way, honestly. They're beautiful watches. They're tremendous. So um, Longa is probably the most famous non-Swiss watch brand besides Grand Seiko, I guess. Um, uh, but for, for high horology, it's definitely the most famous. And it's out of Glushut, Germany. And, and, um, and yeah, that's these are, they're making for a lot of people grail watches. Um some notable mentions out of Germany, and honestly, I could do an entire episode just on German watches and German watchmaking. But Nomos, if you're looking for like a watch in that two to five thousand dollar range, Nomos is a good place to look. They have some in-house movements, uh, but also use Swiss movements as well. Um, if you're looking for like a small boutique brand similar to like a Gronefeld, Mortz Grossmann is a great brand. Um, it's a it's a brand named after a very famous um, 1800s watchmaker named Moritz Grossman. It's owned by a woman, actually. Her name is Christine uh, Hutter, I think, Hutter, H-U-T-T-R. Um, tremendous brand, making uh, really, really beautiful German watches. Um, you also have Glashut Original, which is owned by Swatch Group, uh, which I like to describe as uh, 85% of Longa at 25% of the price, and that's becoming even more... Um, the, the spread between the price points is becoming larger as Longa's gaining more popularity. Um, and then Sin watches as well as a German watch brand. All right. So, uh, I guess that's it guys. I mean, this was a, a pretty short podcast, 35 minutes. Um, and, uh, you know, I can, I can do another one on, on other brands, uh, non-Swiss watch brands and I probably will. But, um, just to recap, we talked about Sarpaneva. We talked about Vermont, Sarpaneva out of Finland, Vermont out of England. Um, we talked about Longa out of, out of Germany, Gronefeld out of the Netherlands, uh, Resence out of, uh, where's Resence? Resence out of Belgium, Ross out of France, and Devon out of the U.S. Oh, and Grand Seiko out of Japan. All right, well, thanks for listening, and I uh, hope to see you guys next time. Remember to subscribe to uh, this podcast, whether you're listening to it on, on uh, the Apple Podcast app, uh, Spotify or, or anywhere else that you have your podcast. Um, if you're, there's a topic that you want me to cover uh, or a guest that you'd like to have on, or if you'd like to be a guest, 
feel free to reach out to me, uh, jthanos at thewatchbox.com. So my first initial J, last name Thanos at thewatchbox.com. Or find me on Instagram at mrthanos, Mr. Thanos on Instagram. Thanks, and uh, see you next time. Thank mm-hmm. you.